What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I sat down and recorded some of my unfiltered thoughts on two of the most recent events happening in sports. First, I talked about Tom Brady's new 10-year, $375 million reported deal with Fox Sports. And secondly, I broke down the highest earning athletes of 2021, a list that Sportico recently released. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I had a lot of fun recording it. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've been wearing a Whoop for several years now and it has made a massive difference in my life. It's the only tech product that I wear 24-7. So it's pretty cool to see people like Patrick Mahomes, Rory McIlroy, Michael Phelps, and Justin Bieber wearing one also. Whoop automatically measures your respiratory rate, oxygen level, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. Sure, it might sound complex, but Whoop interprets the data for you so it's easy to digest and actionable. And now, their 4.0 is officially back in stock and shipping in real time. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering my listeners 15% off their Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. All right, let's get into this episode. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, what's up, everyone? It's Wednesday night here in beautiful Miami, and I wanted to sit down and just run through a couple recent events and talk about them for today's podcast. So the two events I want to talk about in particular are Tom Brady, of course. I feel like he broke the internet yesterday with his new broadcasting deal with Fox Sports. And then I want to talk about the highest paid athletes in the world. Kurt over at Sportico released a list yesterday of the top 100. And I want to walk through kind of some of the things that stuck out to me and maybe provide some context or explanations around why that might be. So let's start with Tom Brady first. Tom Brady signed a massive, rumored by Andrew Marchand, to be a 10-year, $375 million deal with Fox Sports, where he will become their lead NFL analyst and play-by-play broadcaster immediately upon his retirement. So if he retires next year, he'll start the following year. If he retires two years, three years, four years, whenever it is, he starts right after that, and he goes for 10 years at $375 million, $37.5 million a year. And the reason why that is so crazy, absurd, insane, broke the internet type stuff is because the current highest paid broadcaster when it comes to sports is Troy Aikman, who makes $18 million a year, just signed a brand new deal. So if you guys remember, Tony Romo got a big deal a few years ago when he was in high demand, $17.5 million from CBS. The market reset this year now with Troy Aikman and Joe Buck leaving Fox and going to ESPN. So ESPN poached them, brought them over, and said, Troy, you get $18 million a year. Joe Buck, you get $15. $33 million combined for the two people in ESPN's broadcast booth. People thought that was crazy. Literally, people thought that was crazy. Peter King actually wrote something earlier this year, and he, he pointed out that Tony Romo and Troy Aikman are now making more than star wide receivers Cooper Cup, Stefan Diggs, Keenan Allen, and Mike Evans will make in 2022. And he doesn't know why. The full quote, and I actually just pulled it up here, he goes, do networks actually expect that this will result in more viewers? 
In watching the NFL for five decades, I have never once heard anyone decide to watch a game based on who the announcers are. Whoever is broadcasting the Super Bowl could pick mid-level Big 12 announcers, and they would have exactly the same number of viewers. So I think there's a few parts to that. I don't think he's correct, I guess, first and foremost. I have a different opinion on it, but I could see why he would say that, right? Because there is some truth to the fact that I'm sure you guys know, I know, none of my friends, none of your friends, I'm sure, call out who's broadcasting a game. The Manning cast, that's different, right? That's not a traditional broadcast. But when we're strictly talking about traditional broadcast, I bet the large, large, large majority of the fans could not tell you who is broadcasting each individual game, and they certainly don't tune into games to hear those individuals. So I get that. I think this needs to be broken down into two parts, though, right? Which is, first, why is Tom Brady doing this? And then second, does it make sense for Fox and other networks to be paying this kind of money? So let's start with number one, which is Tom Brady. I didn't think Tom Brady would do this, to be quite honest. I thought Tom Brady for the longest time was going to fade out of the spotlight and almost go like Michael Jordan-esque, where you see him in public every once in a while, but it's rare. They're not in the spotlight necessarily. They're still famous, obviously. Jordan has the Jordan brand and all these different things. He has the golf courses. He's still famous for sure, and he's a large, large, large brand. But I thought Brady was going to follow that model. Over the last few years, my opinion on that has changed simply based on everything that he's been doing, right? He's, he's built this massive social media presence. He's been much more in the limelight. He has shown his personality much more, especially after leaving New England. So that certainly changed to some degree, but I certainly didn't think that he was going to be broadcasting. Whether he wanted to be in the public or not, broadcasting was kind of out of the question in my mind. So I think if you're Fox, it was always going to be a big number. Right. And I heard Mike Florio talk about this the other day. He said his over under was 29 million. And I think that was fair, right? Like the, the, the market rate, the highest broadcaster was being paid. Troy Aikman was being paid $18 million a year. I tweeted out when the deal got announced with Brady, I said, I have no idea what the financials are, but my guess is it's north of 20, maybe 25 million. And that was well below what it actually ended up being rumored, right? And Fox has, said that these these numbers are not accurate, but I, I trust Andrew's reporting on this. He's well in the weeds on these things, and I feel like he's probably at least directionally correct whether the details are, are skewed a little bit, maybe. But I think if you're Fox, you had to go over the top. You basically have to give him an offer that he cannot deny, he cannot refuse, he cannot not accept, right? And that's exactly what they did. $37.5 million is absolutely wild for one individual broadcaster to be paid just given current market rates, right? It's a 10-year deal, maybe the market resets, et cetera. But literally, the, the highest paid broadcasters, Troy Aikman at 18, ESPN is paying two out of the three highest paid broadcasters, and their entire booth is worth $33 million. So Tom Brady is now making double, more than double the second highest paid broadcaster. And this deal alone, this is the craziest part, this deal alone over 10 years will pay him more than his entire 22-year NFL career. He's the highest paid player in NFL history right now. And this deal alone will pay him more than that, right? So he's literally going to retire and he's going to get a raise. The other reason why he would do this is because it's really not all that much work, right? The, the NFL, they're playing 16, 17 games, whatever, playoffs, Super Bowl maybe. But ultimately, you work one day a week, right? There's some other commitments around it. Maybe you meet with the coaches or the quarterbacks or people like that the day before and run through things. But if he wants to, I'm sure he'll have the ability at Fox to, to work one day a week. You fly in on a private jet, you work on Sunday, you leave. And that's it, right? And to be paid $37.5 million for that after retirement is incredible. And it speaks to the brand that he has built, the career that he's had, 
the GOAT label, obviously. He was that big fish in the pond where Fox wanted to make a splash after they lost Troy Aikman, Joe Buck, et cetera. And they got him, right? They, they paid an enormous amount of money, but ultimately that's probably what it took, right? I think if you told me now, especially saying, look, 20 million, 25 million, Brady probably said no. And now at a number like that, it's very hard to, to say no when you have to work one day a week, you get to fly in the private jet, you go do a few hours of work, whatever it is, leave, get paid that much money a year. It makes a lot of sense for Brady is my point. So let's move to Fox, right? And Fox we'll talk about because they're the ones actually paying this amount of money. But I think it speaks to all of the networks, right? Whether you want to talk about CBS, ESPN, Amazon, whatever, right? All of the networks. And the reason why I think that we're headed in this direction, we're obviously headed in this direction. So that's not necessarily a bold call, right? The announcing and the broadcaster payments annually have continued to increase. The market got reset earlier this year, and now it's been reset again, right? Maybe it takes a long time for someone ever to come near that $37.5 million, but we're already at 18, right? So they're headed north. And the reason I think that is, is because think about what's at risk here, right? Amazon is paying $1.3 billion per year for exclusive rights to Thursday night football. Fox is spending more than $2 billion per year for their package. ESPN is spending more than $2.5 billion per year just to broadcast Monday Night Football, right? And in total, the NFL's new broadcast agreements are worth more than $100 billion, which is the richest U.S. sports media deal in history, right? So over $100 billion. If you're a network that is committing over $20 billion on media rights over the next decade, right? $2 billion a year could be $25 billion depending on what network we're talking about here. But let's just use the average and, and kind of the median there, which is $20 billion over the next decade. If you're committing that, it probably makes a lot of sense in someone like ESPN's case to spend $33 million to ensure that it's the best possible viewer experience, right? And $33 million at face value sounds like a lot of money in the context of $20 billion or two, two and a half billion dollars a year. It's not nearly as much money, right? So I think that's part of it. And then when you just think about the breakdown of how these networks get paid, so there's a bunch of things that go into this, and I'm going to use a very overgeneralized sense just to make my point, but let's just look at advertisers in general, right? Because viewership is part of that, but with viewership comes advertising, and it's important for the viewers to enjoy the broadcast because that's what the advertisers pay you for, right? They want people to watch the games. They want people to enjoy it. They want people to be watching the commercials. They want people to feel good and have a good experience watching it on your network. So you're committing $20 billion, but then you have these advertisers. And one of the things I looked up before this, which I thought was super interesting, and, and I hope you guys enjoy from a research perspective, is just how much these advertisers are actually paying, right? So get this. The average price for a 30-second NFL ad, right? Just average here. These are ballpark numbers, but directionally, they're definitely correct. In the regular season of an NFL game, so a 1 p.m. game on a Sunday, regardless of network, the average price for a 30-second commercial during that game is $400,000, right? When you move to the playoffs, that goes up to a million dollars plus, depending on the round, time of the game, significance of the game, popularity of the game, all of that. 400 k for the regular season, a million plus for the playoffs. And then for the Super Bowl, it's six and a half million plus, right? So some people paid seven million, some people might pay more than that. Those numbers have gone up way, way, way more than inflation or anything else, right? So those numbers should continue to increase. The NFL is getting bigger, more people are watching it, all of that. 
So when you think about it in that context, I also think it makes a lot of sense, right? Because of the quantity and the quality of these commercials. If you're paying someone 500K on average, let's say, for a 30-second commercial, exclude the Super Bowl, exclude playoffs, all that kind of stuff, four to $500,000 on average for a 30-second commercial, ESPN is going to earn $50 million and be able to pay back their broadcasting booth, pay that off within one to two games, right? And again, this is like a very overgeneralized way to look at it. But just for context on how big the actual business of this stuff is, they're paying billions of dollars, $20 billion over 10 years for the actual rights to the game. And then they're going to be able to match whatever they're paying the broadcasters, especially what they're paying them right now, in just a couple of games, given the commercial rates that they, they get from advertisers. So again, the advertising booth and the broadcasting booth is an extension of the advertisers, right? So it's an extension of their brand. You want people to relate to those people. A lot of people like Troy Aikman, right? A lot of people like Joe Buck. A lot of people like Tom Brady. And I think that those are the reasons as to why these people are more comfortable with paying those rates. Again, I don't know. There, there's people online saying, Tom Brady, you know, he's never actually broadcast the game. Is he any good at this? My guess is he can learn, right? I don't think that they would pay him $37.5 million if they had any reservation about his ability to actually broadcast the game. We've seen other people come in like Tony Romo and be very good. Tom Brady has obviously dealt with the media for a long period of time. He's trained in this stuff. He can execute. He can talk about these things in, in the right manner. And if not, they will teach him, right? So I think that that's not necessarily a concern. But the part that does interest me specifically is what happens to the future of NFL because of this? Are there any downstream effects or downstream impact? And I actually think there probably will be, right? Because if you think about Sean McVay, right? Let's use him as an example. He's a young guy. I don't know exactly how old he is, but low 30s, I think. He won the Super Bowl in Los Angeles for the Rams. He's obviously returning to the Rams now. But there was rumors Amazon supposedly offered him $100 million over five years to retire and become their, one of their broadcasters. Many other networks have been interested and been rumored to be offering him similar money. And maybe it would have even been more, right? But the point is, if you can earn more money than you currently make, and he's a coach, he's not even the best example because he's a coach, right? He doesn't get hit. His long-term health, sure, maybe he works very, very, very hard and he works a lot of hours. But take like Cam Hayward, Greg Olson, like these are guys that are now refining their skills while they were still in or are still in the NFL. We're seeing people take side jobs. Greg Olson was broadcasting games, I think, for the New York Giants when he was still in the NFL, but he was on the IR. So like these guys are realizing very quickly where some of this stuff is headed. The question you have to ask is, will more top-tier NFL players be enticed by the opportunity to earn an eight-figure contract from a network rather than continuing to play and potentially damaging their long-term health? I think that's a fair question. And my guess is that the answer is yes, but we don't know who, we don't know when, we don't know how many people impact. There's obviously only a certain number of jobs, et cetera. But if you're a quarterback and you're sitting there and you're a big time name, you played a long time, you got a lot of money, it makes a lot of sense to potentially retire, save your health, not have to go through the grind of the season, show up one day a week, make 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, maybe even $40 million a year annually, right? These deals are just getting so big where you start to ask those questions of like, how does this impact everything else? And I feel like that's fair. We'll see what happens, but that that's my general analysis take. Deals are going to get bigger. Not surprising that Brady went for that number because of how big the number is. Contextually, with the, with the amount of the money that the deals are being bought for and the amount that advertisers are paying, it makes sense. 
And again, they'll continue to increase. The real question in my mind is like how this impacts everything else. But we'll see on that. All right, topic number two is the highest paid athletes in the world. So a few different services do this. Forbes has done it for a long time. I think everyone's familiar with that list. Kurt used to work over there, Badhouse and at Sportico. He now works at Sportico, sorry. And he does it there. So Sportico released their list this morning. Very, 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 very good. I recommend everyone go check it out. I tweeted it out on Wednesday morning. So if you want to go check it out, go check it out. The visuals are fantastic. A lot of graphs, all this stuff. But let's run through it. First, I'll go through the top 10. So we have LeBron James. Sportico says was the highest paid athlete in the world last year. $130 million. Lionel Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar were two, three, and four. Each of them made $122 to $100 million. So $100 to $125 million for two through four. Alvarez, Canelo was number five, $90 million. Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Roger Federer, James Harden was number nine. And then Tiger Woods was number 10. So Tiger Woods at 10 made $73.5 million last year. LeBron was at 127. So pretty sizable gap there, but one through 10, those are the guys. Naomi Osaka, from a female perspective, was the highest earning female. I believe she was 20th on the list and made $53, $54 million, somewhere in that range. Again, far off gap, but that number has actually increased dramatically. The highest paid women's player has traditionally been a woman. It was Serena for years, other women before that. Osaka now has been it for the last three years. She's only 24, which I find incredible, right? She's 24 years old, has been the highest paid female athlete in the world for the last three years. And that number has gone from lower kind of teens to 20, to 30, to 40, and now it's in the 50s, right? So their pay has increased a lot. She has been kind of the leader on that. But then when we look at the number of sports, right? So Sportico broke it down by the number of athletes in each category that were on their top 100. It's overwhelmingly dominated by American large sports leagues. So for example, basketball, the NBA has 36 of the top 100. Football, the NFL has 25. Baseball has 12, right? So now we're, we're over, I don't usually do public math here, but we're over you know, 60, 65% here that are just in those three leagues alone. Soccer is the one outlier. There's 13. So international soccer, those players get paid a lot. Just on the top 10, Lionel Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, right? So three out of those 13 are, are within the top five of the highest paid players in the world. Golf had four, boxing had three, tennis had three, racing had two, MMA had one, and cricket had one, right? So majority, majority, majority of the money is coming from those major U.S. sports leagues. And the reason why that is, is, is I think known at this point, but North America in general and the United States specifically is the most lucrative sports market in the world. You're able to monetize that fan base better than anything else. The example I always use is, is Formula One. And you have to look at the business. There's some, some things that differ about the business a little bit from the way they run it with kind of being more traditionally asset light. They don't actually own the racetracks. They don't own the events. They, they license their name really. But they have two to three times more fans globally than the NFL, but the NFL makes eight times more money. So if you think about it in that context, like, yes, North America is the market to be in. When you think about the Premier League, someone told me earlier today, the Premier League doesn't need the US, right? And I laughed because they have a $2.7 billion contract with NBC here in the United States. So every sports league globally, regardless of who they are, is 
attempting to find a way to integrate themselves in the United States and grow it here, right? We've seen it with Formula One. We've seen it with the Premier League. We've seen it with lots of other leagues internationally. And that's not like a go US thing, right? It's just it's just the fact that the United States is the biggest economy in the world and the consumer spent a lot of money on sports. So you can look at it a few different ways, but that's really what's going on there. And then I want to just talk through some notes that I picked out that I thought were interesting. So a few things. The body armor sale. Everyone knows body armor. Kobe Bryant was a huge investor. He actually was, I believe, the creative director for the brand. They sold for $8 billion to Coca-Cola last year. And we got some info on the athletes. Naomi Osaka got paid a seven-figure check from that deal. James Harden, which was a big outlier here. James Harden, if you remember correctly a minute ago, he was ninth on the top 10 list last year for highest-paid athletes. Four NBA players in there was LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. So fourth highest paid player in the NBA, ninth in the world for athletics. He got a $20 million check from the body armor deal. And Mike Trout also earned a good payout as well. So if you guys remember body armor, it's run by Mike Rapoli. He did a bunch of other things in the beverage businesses. He ran Pirate's Booty for a period of time. He is a billionaire. He built the business. Kobe Bryant made hundreds of millions of dollars on it, his estate, et cetera. But one of the things that Body Armor always did from the start was all of their athlete endorsement deals, they try to get the athlete equity in the brand. When this is a big brand, it's small, small percentage points that we're talking about. But if you're a guy like James Harden, a guy like Mike Trout, girl like Naomi Osaka, these were meaningful equity points back in the day. It wasn't an $8 billion business always. So as the business has grown, they've profited immensely. James Harden getting a $20 million check basically for being an endorser for the company is incredible. But to the same point, would the company be what it is today without all of the athletes that they've had on their roster? Probably not. If you look down their roster, they have hundreds of the world's best athletes that have been promoting their brand for a long period of time. So I think that was one huge outlier and something very cool to see on the list. The other thing that I thought was super interesting was the salary and endorsement disparity between tennis players. So this is something I actually think about a lot, which is a lot of the other athletes, like if you think about Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Canelo for sure, NFL players, most NBA players too, outside of kind of the top, we'll call it 2% of players, make the majority of their money from salary and winnings, right? If we're talking about boxing or stuff like that. Tennis is the opposite. They make the vast majority of their money on endorsements and business deals like that. So, for example, Roger Federer, Naomi Osaka, and Serena Williams earn just 1% of their pay from on-court earnings. So 99% of their pay came outside of tennis, off the court, which is incredible. So if you think about Roger Federer, here's the example that I love to show. And this has happened for multiple years in a row now. Roger Federer made $700,000 playing tennis last year. 700K, right? 700K. There's doctors that get paid more than that, right? There's lawyers, attorneys, right? He got paid $700,000 last year for playing tennis, but he earned $85 million off the court through endorsements. So he's got a lot of endorsements, obviously. I, I don't need to run through the whole list. He gets paid $30 million a year by Uniqlo alone, right? So a large percentage of it is just coming from his apparel deal. But that's crazy. Literally 1% of their money, the highest paid tennis players in the world, Roger Federer, Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams, just 1% of their pay came from on-court earnings. And then if you think about boxing, it's the complete opposite. 
Canel Alvarez, Tyson Fury, and Jake Paul, who's on the list this year for his boxing endeavors, earn more than 90% of their earnings inside the ring, right? So tennis players, the three I mentioned before, Federer, Osaka, Williams, earn just 1% of their pay from on-court earnings. Alvarez, Fury, and Paul earn 90% plus inside the ring. So completely different from a sports perspective there, which I thought was super interesting. The youngest person on the list was Trevor Lawrence, who came in with $32.8 million in income last year. He's just 22 years old, right? So he was the youngest within the top 100. He would have been, I think he was somewhere in the 60s with that $32 million income. A lot of that is obviously his salary as the number one overall pick. Then when you go to Formula One, two Formula One drivers were in the top 100. Lewis Hamilton brought home $54 million. $42 million of that came through salary, winnings, et cetera, with Mercedes. Max Verstappen brought home $43 million, so $11 million less than Lewis Hamilton. About $40 million or $39 million came through winnings. $4 million came through endorsements. So I think people forget too, like these drivers, the top drivers at least get paid a lot of money. Maybe maybe lower drivers on the, on the totem pole and with less significant teams, maybe they get paid a million bucks, two million bucks, something like that. But the top drivers, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, they're making $42 million and $39 million respectively. So a lot of money for those two guys. And then the entry point to get on this list jumped, right? So if you're an athlete, a good athlete that's making a lot of money, last year you would have had to make $26 million to be on the list. Now it's 29.6. So a lot of reasons for that. Asset prices have gone up in general. That's certainly part of it. We have record inflation here in the United States, 40-year high at least. That plays a part for sure. But yeah, the number has increased from 26 to 29. And then one other interesting fact that I thought was cool, Sportico pointed out, was Nike had the most partnerships on the top 100. 42 out of the athletes on the top 100 were Nike athletes, which I thought was really cool. So I don't know what the real takeaway from this kind of stuff is. I think part of it is that you need to take everything with a grain of salt. Forbes released a list literally later in the day that had Messi and LeBron flipped. They said Messi made more than LeBron and vice versa. So take it for what it's worth. I think directionally, again, that it's correct. But Forbes also, one of the examples I like to use when people swear by the these numbers is, if you remember correctly, Peter Thiel was on the list and they had him, I, I don't know the number, but they had him at a net worth for a long period of time. And then it came out that he had more than that just in his IRA alone. He had like $5 billion in his IRA or whatever it was. Again, directionally, these are correct, but it's, it's difficult to tell how accurate they are. With that, I'll leave you guys alone for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you have a fantastic Thursday, wherever you are in the world. And I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Palm Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.